I want to take as my text this morning one verse, the last verse of our first reading from the prophet Micah, Micah chapter 6 and verse 8, perhaps one of the most famous of all the Old Testament texts. Micah chapter 6 and verse 8, if you're making use of the Pew Bible, you can find that text on page 927. Page 927, Micah's prophecy, chapter 6 and verse 8. In fact, let's take a look at that quickly again. Micah 6 and verse 8. And the prophet says to God's people, He has told you, O man, God has told you what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? But to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. To do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. This morning I want to talk about the three essentials of authentic goodness. The three essentials of authentic goodness. Now most people, I think, would like to and do think of themselves as good. I would certainly think that that is the case for those of us who have assembled here this morning. But what does it mean to be good? And what does God have to say about what it means to be good? And that's what we want to consider briefly this morning. And the first thing that we notice in our text is that to be good in God's eyes is to be just. That to be good in God's eyes is to be just. Notice again our text. Micah 6 and verse 8. He has told you, O man, God has, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? But, number one, to do justice. And so to be good in God's eyes is to do justice. Simply stated, to do justice is to do what is good and right and fair. It's the exact opposite of injustice. And the basis of any just society rests on the ability of its citizens to be just. In fact, do you know why there's injustice in our communities and in our nation and around the world? Because people are unjust. We make our world either just or unjust or even the world around us. Is, is the world that you live in, in your family, in your church, in, at your work, just because you bring fairness to it? Is that what people say about you? Well, you know, at least he's fair. Or do they say other things? To do justice is to do what is good and right and fair. And doing justice apparently isn't an option with God as if it's something that you may do or not ever get round to doing. Now indeed, with God, doing justice is essential. In fact, we might even say that with God, justice is more important than other things that are important with God. Things that you might think of, if I was to say, what do you suppose is important to God? In fact, uh, probably lots of us would say, well, worship, you know. 
We made reference to it uh, as we were beginning service this morning. Jesus uh, told the woman at the well that God is seeking worshipers who worship him in spirit and in truth. And so we'd say worship is important to God. There's something more important to God than worship. In fact, in Proverbs chapter 21 and verse 3, we read, To do righteousness and justice is more pleasing to God than sacrifice, which in the context means worship. The ancient people of Israel, when they worshiped, they brought sacrifices to the temple. And the writer to the, of Proverbs says, and to do righteousness and justice is more pleasing, more important, we might say, than worship. Indeed, in Psalm chapter 37 and verse 28, we read, And the Lord loves justice. That you could turn that around and say what he thinks about injustice. But he loves justice. And to neglect doing justice, even while we may be doing other things that are pleasing to God, is with God a serious offense. In fact, you remember Jesus' Woe on the Pharisees, the scribes, and he called them hypocrites. In fact, in the 23rd chapter of Matthew, he goes on and on and he keeps repeating that phrase. Scribes, Pharisees, hypocrites. These were the, these were the, the leaders of the religious establishment of his own day. And he's saying, you're completely getting it wrong. You're not just notwithstanding all of the laws that you keep and the way that you dress and the worship that you engage in. And you might be fooling other people, but you're not fooling God. And so in Matthew 23 and verse 23, Jesus says, woe to you. Listen, you don't want God or anybody else saying woe to you. That is a, an expression of doom Woe to you, scribes, Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin. They, they had their little herb gardens and they'd give God 10% of it. And there's nothing wrong with that. That's a good thing. But Jesus says there's a problem. You tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters. This is a, an issue of contrast and priority. You have neglected the weightier matters of the law. What? Justice and mercy and faithfulness. These things you ought to have done without neglecting the others. Without neglecting the tithing. But you should have done justice and mercy and faithfulness. And you haven't. And that's a problem. Because with God, doing justice is essential. Indeed, those who value justice as God values it would rather suffer injustice than to commit injustice themselves. In fact, you read in the Old Testament about those who make promises and keep those promises to their own hurt because it's the right thing to do. How many in our society take the easy way? Oh, well, you know, it's not a... One of the vestry members was mentioning recently, I guess it was last week, that she had bought a... Oh, she had meant to buy a cake at the store and walked out of the store without paying for it. 
And I was pleased to hear her say that she felt terrible about it. And she went to go take care of that. I went to the bank one time and they gave me like $450 more than I went there to get. And I got out to the car and to count the money and I said, oh, wow. And I took it back and the guy didn't even say thank you. I guess he didn't want to like draw attention to the fact that he had given me too much money. Right? But how easy, you know, just that. Eh. But that's not justice. You don't want that on your ledger. You don't want that on your heart. You don't want that in your mind. It didn't belong to me. It belongs to you. I made you a promise, and I said I'd come through. And I'll, I'll make those payments, or I'll do whatever I need to do in order to make this thing right. I made a promise. You expected it, and you need it, and I'm coming through. And so those who love justice the way God loves it would rather suffer an injustice if, if that was required or some other cost rather than do injustice himself or herself. In fact, I was reading some time ago, again, the dialogue, the platonic dialogue of Georgius. Socrates says uh, to, to Paulus, he says, to do injustice is the greatest of evils. Indeed, I don't want to do injustice and I don't want to suffer injustice. But, Socrates says, but if I must choose between them, I would rather suffer injustice than to do injustice, for to do evil is worse than to suffer it. That's a man for whom justice matters. And that's the first thing, that to be good in God's eyes is to be just. Secondly, to be good in God's eyes is to be kind, or in some translations, merciful. Notice again our text. And he has told you, O oh man, that is, O oh man of God, man of the people, woman of the covenant, he's talking to the people of Israel, God's chosen people. He speaks to the church, God's chosen people through this book. In fact, the Old Testament was the Bible of the church for, 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 for decades before there were any other writings collected and also made what we now refer to as Scripture. But Micah says, he has told you, O man, what is good. God has told you what is good. And what does God require of you but to do justice and to love kindness? And so to be good in God's eyes is to love kindness, or as you may have it, uh, if you're looking at a different translation, to love mercy. And notice that God says not just to be kind or just to be merciful to others, but to love relating to them in that way. That's, it's an extraordinary expression. To love mercy. Do you love mercy? Most <laughs> like, I'll tell you what I love. I love a situation where I don't have to be merciful to people. I don't want to have to forgive. I don't want to have to give them a break. I don't want to cut a, have to cut them some slack. I want, them, I want people around me to do what I want them to do. But in what world will we find all of that? That's why perfectionists are never happy. Because perfection doesn't exist. 
And so we're called to love kindness, which suggests that, that being kind and merciful toward others, at least for those who are good, is, is a thing to be enjoyed. <laughs> In fact, I, I would say, I would tell you how this works. If you are the recipient of mercy, God's mercy, mercy is, by the way, delivering you from the, the, the negative just desserts that you deserve. You've done wrong and you deserve to be punished. When God is merciful to you, he delivers you from that punishment. And he's merciful. And if you know what it's like to be the recipient and really appreciate the gift of mercy, it's beautiful to you. And God is merciful. God practices mercy. When God calls you to love mercy, he's calling you to love something he loves. He wouldn't do it if he didn't love it. You think he's up there wringing his hands and saying, how much mercy do I have? God loves to be merciful. God loves to save and deliver and give himself away and pour himself out and meet his own standards to see you safe because you can't meet him. That's the nature of God. And so he calls us to love what he loves. And when we understand that, it's not a difficult and an onerous and unpleasant thing. Nicky Gumbel, in his book, Challenging Lifestyle, gave a, a great explanation or description, if you like, of, of what mercy is. He said, mercy is an attitude opposite of that of the fault finder, who's constantly looking for and dwelling on the faults of others. That's what it means to be unmerciful. And to be merciful is to be the opposite of that. To not be finding fault, but cutting them some slack. <laughs> and being merciful to them the way you need God and others to be merciful to you. We get to forgive. And it's a beautiful thing if you appreciate being the object and the recipient of forgiveness. Indeed, according to Jesus, to be merciful is to be blessed. Did you catch that? What's the strangest list of blessings you've ever heard in your life? I've never heard, I've never heard. Hey, tell us how God has blessed you. Well, he lets me be persecuted for righteousness. I've never sat in a room where people said this. Well, you know, it's blessed to mourn. Well, it's blessed to be poor in spirit. It's which is another expression for humility. Jesus' list is completely contrary to any list we would come up and completely counterintuitive. But the thing to mark is that it's true. Because this is the way God sees it. And the way God sees all things is truth. Matthew 5 and verse 7, we read it this morning. Blessed are the merciful. Why are they blessed? Because they shall receive mercy. Wow. That's good. Lord, I want mercy. So I'm going to practice it. I'm going to do, Lord, watch me. <laughs> this is what I want you to do with me. And you let them off. And you forgive. The Greek word for forgiveness means to send away. It means to release. 
right? Some of you don't forgive, and so you got all that stuff all bound up in you, and you think the more pain you experience, the worse those people who have hurt you will hurt. By the way, they're not hurting. But when we hold on to it, we hurt ourselves. And God says, just let it go. Leave it with me. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. Don't take that upon yourself, Scott. Don't take vengeance. In fact, you're sure doing a lousy job of vengeance, Scott, because the only vengeance you're wreaking is on yourself. So let it go and give it to me, and I'll take care of it. I, I'm a just God. I'll take care of it. Blessed are the merciful because they shall receive mercy. In fact, Jesus said that to be merciful is to be like God. We mentioned that just moments ago. Luke chapter 6 and verse 36, Jesus says to those who want to follow him, who want to be his disciples, who want to be Christians, be merciful even as your heavenly Father is merciful. Indeed, to be merciful or kind which is another way of putting it, is an essential equality of agape love. There's another thing that we like to think. You know, we're good <laughs> and we're loving. I'm a good and I'm a loving person. Good. Then you're kind and you're merciful because that's what agape does. 1 Corinthians 13 and verse 4. It's, it's, it's a shame that the only time you ever hear it is when you go to a wedding. And then it's romanticized and then so nobody even understands what it's about. But it sounds good. It's got great rhythm, you know, especially if in the King James. Man, I was like, that was great. Well, what was it? I don't know, but it sounded great. Like Shakespeare. Love is kind. You're loving? Good. Then you're merciful. And you're kind. Right? Indeed, kindness is part of the fruit of the Spirit. You say, I can't do that. There's some people I can't be kind to. No. Right, I, got, I, bet, I bet I can double that list because I can't be kind. But kindness is part of the fruit of the Spirit. And when, I'm, when, I, am sub, when I am subjecting myself and su surrendering myself to the Spirit, Spirit of God, you live in me. Then I can do it because God will do what God can do and God will do it through me as he'll do it through you. Galatians chapter 5 and verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit, the product of the Spirit, what the Spirit does when the Spirit is alive in you, the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness. And so that's the second thing. To be good in the eyes of God is to be kind. To love mercy. Thirdly and finally, to be good in God's eyes is to be humble. To be humble. Notice again our text, verse 8. He has told you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you as a follower of his, but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. And so to be good in God's eyes is to be humble. Timothy Keller defines humility famously as blessed self-forgetfulness. I love that. It just sounds so liberating. I mean, I, I, I literally, I, I pray, 
for the proud, and I pray for pride when it puts up its ugly head in my life, and it always brings pain. It doesn't bring strength and release. Blessed self-forgetfulness. Ken Blanchard in his book, Leadership Smarts, said this. He said, people with humility don't think less of themselves. They don't have an inferiority complex. People with humility don't think less of themselves. They just think of themselves less. <laughs> they don't think less of like... Being humble isn't about like, oh, woe is me. It's not Eeyore. In fact, humble people are very, very attuned and enlightened on the way things really are. They have a very clear understanding of themselves. And it's okay because they're human and then they understand what that means. They're created by God. They're redeemed by God. They're sustained by God. They realize all of that. And it has an impact on the way they think about themselves and think of others and think of the world around them. When, when God says, remember, O man, that you are dust, and unto dust you shall return, a humble person says, yep, that's me. <laughs> and I should act accordingly, based upon that truth. Robert Llewellyn, in his book, A Doorway to Silence, wrote this about humility. He said, humility is the foundation of all virtue, for no other virtue is possible without it. Now, that's an extraordinary observation. One of the things that you'll notice with the proud is they never seem to change. In fact, they're proud of that. I never change. Yeah. And you never grow. Because I guess you don't think you need to. Or, you should, or you, maybe you make the mistake of comparing yourselves to others around you. They're not growing, so I'm not going to grow either. Or whatever it is. Humility is the foundation of all virtue, for no other virtue is possible without it. Virtue, we're talking about virtue, and it begins with humility. Perhaps that's why humility is a, is a central theme both in the Old and New Testaments. Sometimes referred to as meekness or gentleness, because without humility there is no true love. Without humility, there is no, no true justice, no true goodness. None of those things exist, but in some sort of false form, like false humility, by the way. You know what false humility is, don't you? It's a display of humility because you think a display of humility is to your advantage. It's not real humility. You don't really have a, a think less of yourself. In fact, you think a great deal about yourself. And so you play the part of the humble because you think you have something to gain from somebody else who maybe will shine to that. That's false humility. It's inauthentic, ungenuine, unreal. And God sees it when we play that game. Interestingly enough, again, humility or gentleness is part of the fruit of the Spirit. Galatians 5 again, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness. 
That's humility. Unassuming. <laughs> and according to Jesus again, it's blessed, a blessing to be humble, a blessing to be meek. <laughs> Who do you want to be? Oh, I want to be meek. <laughs> Jesus says it's a blessed state. You heard it this morning. Matthew 5 and verse 5. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Who will inherit the earth? Who inherit? God is the one who gives the inheritance. And to whom does he give it? He gives it to the humble. He gives it to the meek. <laughs> Indeed, Jesus said that humility leads to exaltation with God, while pride, on the other hand, is something to be avoided at all costs. Luke 14 and verse 11, Jesus said, Everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and everyone who humbles himself will be exalted. The way up is the way down. The way down, down, is the way up. Puff yourself up. <laughs> Pretend you're something, look, you're dust. Anything beyond that is a pretense. <laughs> you came from dust, and that's where you're headed. We'll do your funeral. We will. And there's not anything that you can do from keep, to keep that from happening. You're completely at the mercy of death. You didn't bring yourself in, and you don't take yourself out. You are dust, and unto dust shall you, shall you, you shall return. And if in between those two dates, the day you were born and the day you die, you exalt yourself... Jesus has already told you what you have to look forward to. And that is an abasement by God. Peter said the same thing, or some, using similar words. In fact, he used it as an encouragement to the church. Very, very important. First Peter chapter 5, beginning at verse 5. He says to the church, he himself is thinking that he's going to die at any time. And he says, this is really important. He says, clothe yourselves, all of you, <laughs> not just the leaders, Every one of you who names the name of Christ, clothe yourselves, all of you, with hum humility toward one another. That's a whole community of humility. <laughs> Everyone clothing themselves in humility toward the other. And then notice, and this will send, put goose bumps on the, or make the hair stand up on the back of your head. For, he says, quoting from Proverbs, for God opposes the proud. I don't need God opposing me. I need God protecting me. I need God shepherding me. I need God providing. I don't want to be on the battlefield with God. I want God not as an opponent, but as a friend. God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And so Peter says, humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God so that he may at the proper time exalt you. And so these are the three essentials of authentic goodness. To do justice and to love mercy and to walk humbly with our God. And so God help us to do them for our soul's health, for his greater glory and for the blessing of all those around us. Amen? Amen? Amen. Let us pray.
And we think maybe it's kind of exciting, Lord, if we're doing these things. And then as Paul told the Thessalonians, to do it more and more. Become even skilled, more skilled at it. Doing justice and loving mercy and walking humbly with your God. Or maybe if these things have been rather on the periphery of our lives with something else unworthy at our center, to bring those things off of the bench and off of the periphery, off of the circumference and into our center, so that these become the things, Lord, that we pursue, the things that you have called us to, the things that you say make us good, to do justice and to love mercy and to walk humbly with you, understanding who you are and who we are. Help us to do it, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.